Well, listen, um, we're going through Acts, and uh, it's a big book that we're kind of biting off. We, we started off verses 1 through 11 this past week, and we're going to be picking up in Acts chapter 1, verses starting in verse 12. So if you've got your Bible or your version app or whatever, I'd love for you to kind of pull it out. We're going to be hunkered down in there. Um, just to give you a quick thumbnail sketch, the book of Acts was written by a physician named Luke. He was known to be a doctor. You'd call him, I guess, Dr. Luke. Um, it's actually the sequel to his first book known as the Gospel of Luke. So Luke and Acts are kind of like part one and, and part two of a series. The Gospel of Luke talks about Jesus' birth, his life, burial, death, resurrection, and ascension. And then the book of Acts picks up at his ascension into heaven and then accounts for the first 30 years of the early church. And uh, so we're going to be picking up in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Would you, would you mind standing with me as we honor the reading of God's word today? We're going to go through the end of, uh, of chapter 1 today. It says this, uh, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, different Judas. Uh, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who, were, who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Verse 18, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field and there he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Leave it to a physician to give us all of that in-depth information. Verse 19, Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, and so they called that field in their language a keldama, which that is field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, Barsabbas, also known as Justice, this guy's got three names, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know the hearts, everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. And the other guy said it was an honor just to be considered. That was added on. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. Um, how This is an odd par portion of your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through it and that um, you would reveal something maybe in us or um, encourage us in some way. Lord, we thank you that your word mines the gold out of us. And may we not leave this place the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Thanks. Um, honestly, this, this portion of Scripture uh, is, is one of those that is a bit odd. Uh, talks about Judas' suicide and his intestines spilling out, which is, seems like a bit much. And then 
And then it talks about the replacement of Judas, seemingly chosen by a game of craps at the Oxford Casino. Like it's, it's kind of this weird thing of like, oh, this is an odd, odd portion. And honestly, even as I was reading it this week, I was thinking, Lord, can I just skip to chapter two? Because that's what we all want to get to. We all want to get to, you know, they were gathered in the upper room, the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, tongues, all this stuff. Like, and, and yet I'm, I'm, like, I'm reading through it this week. And I, I literally heard the Holy Spirit whispered, whispered to my heart was, was this, pay attention to the people I can use. That's what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me this week. Pay attention to the people I can use. So the title of the message today is People God Uses. Uh, last week we, we talked about the, the final command of Jesus to his disciples. We said, you know, it, it actually wasn't the, the, the great commission. It was actually right before Jesus ascended. He talked about going and waiting for the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, I'll read it again. It says this, Jesus says to his disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. So, so Jesus is like, hey guys, the promise is coming. The power is about to come. The power that you so desperately need in your life. You're about to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Big things are almost here. And then Jesus goes up. And right before he does, he tells them to do what all of us cannot stand, which is wait. Just wait. And they do. Verse 12, we just read it. It says, The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Just so you understand, um, when it says a Sabbath day's walk, it doesn't mean like on the Sabbath they walked all day. It just means essentially on the Sabbath, Jews were only allowed to, to walk about 2,000 cubits, which most of you don't even know how much 2,000 meters is, let alone a cubit. So let me give you an, an idea. It's about a little over a half mile. Which means they leave the Mount of Olives, which was a hill, and then they walk to this upper room that we see in, in chapter 2. And it was about a little over a half a mile's walk for them to get there. So they get there and they go to the upper, the upper room to what? To wait. Have you ever had a promise that you had to wait for? In fact, I would argue that every promise... It wouldn't be a promise unless you had to wait for it, right? It would be a gift, right? You don't, you don't give, it, you know, give a gift to somebody, here, here is my promise. No, you say, I promised it and here's my gift. That, which is why Jesus says, wait for the promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's no promise that we get without waiting. And, and so Jesus is like, I want you to wait. And what we find when we're talking about the people that God uses is that people People that God uses are people who are willing to wait, which is a very difficult, it's a four-letter word in our culture. Wait. No, I don't like waiting. I don't want to wait for things. I don't want to wait to get this. I don't want to have to wait for, for much of anything. Can I encourage you that when you are waiting for something and you don't know what to do while you're waiting, just simply do what Jesus last told you to do. <laughs> And sometimes what Jesus told you last to do was wait. Can I just, I know, I know you're like, I know, but, but I got the promise and the Holy Spirit and God wants to do this and he wants me to launch this and this ministry and this is what he's put in my heart. And he's given me a vision. I have a dream of this. But the last thing he told you to do was wait. And sometimes for some of you, the last thing he told you to do is don't leave. 
Stay. Don't go. Or, or, or listen, sometimes, sometimes what Jesus last tells us to do doesn't look at all like the promise, but it is the very thing. Because why? Because waiting, sometimes just being obedient is the pathway to the promise. So Jesus doesn't give us suggestions. He gives us directions. Do you realize that? When, when Jesus speaks something into existence, when he gives us uh, a commandment, it isn't the great suggestion. It was the great commandment, right? The great commission. And when we start to think that his directions are merely suggestions, then we begin to walk in rebellion, but we call it freedom. I'm going to say that again so that you're, you're fully mad at me. When we begin to look at Jesus' directions as suggestions, we start to walk in rebellion, but we call it freedom. If you're not sure what to do while you're waiting for the promise, do the last thing Jesus told you to do, even if it's not that fun. Because if you choose to step outside of the last command of God, don't be frustrated when your holding pattern gets elongated. Well, I'm just waiting. I know because that's the last thing he told you to do. Don't leave. Don't leave Jerusalem. Stay. Wait. Because obedience is always the pathway to the promise. And delayed obedience is disobedience in God's eyes. God, not only in God's eyes, in, if you're an employer, if you're a parent, you know that delayed obedience is disobedience. You tell your kids, I want you to clean your room. I'm going to give you 15 minutes. Half an hour goes by. They haven't cleaned their room. Why didn't you clean your room? I'm going to get to it, Dad, right? Whether you're a parent, you're, you've got a coworker, you're a leader in any form, delayed obedience is disobedience. Amen? And so, so Luke writes, and he's like, okay, these uh, 11 disciples, because, you know, remember Judas had committed suicide, and they joined this group of what the Bible says is about 120 people, and it doesn't tell us exactly what the conversation was or anything. I'm just imagining these 11 disciples, they hear from Jesus, then he beamed me up Scotties, and then they go back to this group of 120 to tell them what they had just witnessed. Hey guys, listen. Jesus told me that, that we're to wait here, not to leave Jerusalem, because something big is about to happen. Really, when? I'm not sure, but soon. Okay, well, what, what, what's it going to be? I'm not sure, but it's going to be big. Like he said something about baptism and the whole, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds pretty exciting and we're not supposed to leave. The last thing he told us to do is to just wait and we're going to receive power and we're going to change the world. Now, let's not forget, there's 120 people huddled up in an upper room, essentially a little bit scared. Jesus was, was killed. The Romans had killed him. And they're kind of wondering, like, is, are they coming for us? They're not thinking, yeah, we're going to change the stinking world. They're just like, okay, the 120, let's stay here. Have you, ever felt like, have you ever felt like God had an inflated view of what he could accomplish through you? I, I, I can relate to these 120 people where they're just like, wait, okay, shh, quiet. We're going to change the world. Just hoping to stay alive another day, right? Like, are you, we're going to be the ones that are going to change the world. Have you ever felt like God had an inflated view of what he could accomplish through you? I was looking it up, so... I actually looked up the population of, of Israel-Palestine at that time. So there's 120 people in an upper room. Uh, it was estimated there was about 4 million people 
in Palestine in that, in that, in that time frame, okay, when, when they were waiting in the upper room. I just want to give you a, an idea in case you feel like you were the only Christian in your workplace. Um, four million people, that, if you do the math, amounts to about one in 30,000 people. So, so the 120 people, they, they represent one in 30,000 people in their hometown, in their city, in their region, right? Now, just in case you don't know this, the uh, population of Biddeford is 21,500, which would mean that you, sir, you, ma'am, would represent the only Christian in Biddeford, Maine. You would, that, that's it. You're the only one. You, and you would represent Portland. Maybe two of you would represent Portland. Half of you would represent Lyman, Waterboro. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like the reality is, is they were so stinking outnumbered. And yet Jesus looks at these people, this ragtag group of people, and he's like, I know you feel like you're the only one, and you pretty much are 120 people in a huge region. And for you, Christian, you may feel like you are the only Christian in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your work crew, at your job, in your office, maybe even in your family. You are the only one. Talk about small beginnings. Changing the world. Let me just say, and I know this sounds crazy, but I think that Jesus sees you filled with the Holy Spirit as the small beginning for changing the world around you. He doesn't look at, oh, how many do I have? I've got, only got 120. Well, that's one in 30,000. I guess that's good odds. That's horrible odds. That's horrible odds. And you're like, man, I, I don't know. I just feel, I'm just feel beat down. I'm the only Christian at Bath Ironworks. I'm the only Christian at Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. I'm the only Christian in my family. I'm the only Christian in my entire office. And Jesus is like, okay, so that sounds like a great opportunity. What? Are you kidding? He sees you filled with the Holy Spirit as an opportunity for revival. Do you realize that? And I know it sounds crazy, but think about how crazy it must have sounded to these 120 people filled in this upper room. They weren't waiting for their city leaders to get saved to come to faith in Jesus. They were like, like sometimes we're like, ah, I, just, I hope that, that Biden changes. I hope that this changes. I hope that something changes in my world or somebody else gets saved. He's like, no, I've actually placed you in this place for such a time as this filled with the Holy Spirit, which means that I've given you everything that you need for life and godliness, which means I've given you everything that you need for revival. What? I'm just telling you how he sees you. And when we talk about the people that God uses, sometimes it's just people who are willing to do the last thing that Jesus told us to do and to wait. The next thing he says this, God also uses people who are devoted to prayer. Verse 14, they all join together constantly in prayer. They all join together constantly in prayer. Let me say it again. They all join together constantly in prayer. It seemed like it was a bit of a habit. 120 people, 10 days in one room, waiting and praying. Think about this. And they didn't know how long it was going to take. 120 people, 10 days, one room, praying, waiting. I bet it started to stink. That's what I'm going to say. But prayer is what united them. Prayer is what united them. Many people view church as the building that we come to or the service that people attend if they choose. But, but these people were not just phoning it in and doing church. They were united in prayer. 
Do you want to know how to break down division? Pray with each other. You want to know how to bring restoration to your marriage? Pray with each other. Let me just tell you, it's very difficult to hate on someone when you're praying with them. It's very difficult to hate someone when you're praying for them. Thank you. Because I, I, I watch this, and, and I hope that we, we glean some things as we go through this whole book of Acts, because it strips away all of our Christianese and the things that we consider Christian and church in our American society today. But as I look at these guys, I, 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 I just see a difference of how we pray and how they pray. Because I pray, I have prayer requests. I ask God to heal something. I ask God to fix something that is broken. I'm essentially praying that God would, would do something. I just need him to get, to get him to do something. But if we're going to get back to the basics, we're going to strip back all of the things that, that we consider Christian and look at the first followers of Jesus Christ. What if the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do something, but to get God to do something in us? As they're waiting for 10 days, praying, they're just, they're just preparing. God, change me. Do whatever you need to do so that I, I, I'm going to do whatever I can do in my power so that you can do whatever you want to do in me. God, I'm not praying to move you. I'm praying to move me. I'm not praying to change your mind, God. I'm, I'm praying that you would change my mind, God. I'm not praying so to tell you something that you don't know, God. I'm praying that you would reveal something that I am too blind to see in my own life. Have your way. God, have your way in me. What if, what if that changed? What if all of a sudden it changed from, God, would you heal this, fix my stupid, do this, fix this, change this, change her, change them, change this. God, and just said, God, I pray you would do a work in me. Change my mind. Change my heart. Do something in me. Do something in me. Because I think many times we pray, but um, what we find here in the book of Acts, and we're going to keep coming back to it because we're reading through this, is that many times we pray after we act. So we pray prayers like, oh, crap. Can you please, uh-oh, whoops. Can you fix this? We pray prayers after the fact, after we act. But what we find time and time again as we look at the early church is that they continually prayed before they acted. Prayer preceded action. They asked questions to God like, where should we go? What should we do? What should we say? Not, oh, oh shoot, can you fix this? And whoops, uh, I, I, I launched too soon. Oh, I said that, and can you put it back in? Like, no, they were continually praying before they acted. Is that how you view prayer? Are you praying before you act or are you praying after you act? Verse 14 it says they all joined together in constant prayer. And then he gives this little like caveat about people that were there. And I love it. He says, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. It's very intentional that Luke includes the women in this group because the cultural norm, whether you like it or not, was to only mention the men. Because that's who, you know, we'll see. They wanted to have 12 men, and the men were the ones who were mentioned in, in, 
in, in the count. And I'm not saying that was right or wrong or anything. I'm just saying that was the cultural norm. And essentially what I love about this is that Luke is setting the stage to make sure that we understand that, that Theophilus understands that women received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well and were just as essential in this ministry. You can clap. That's okay. Look at, sweetie, listen to this. A woman was the very first gospel preacher. I'm going to leave that right there. You can, you can look it up. She was the first one to tell everyone. Nobody believed her, but she was the first gospel preacher. And I'm just going to leave it there. Okay, not only that, um, not only that, but we find that among the 120 was Jesus' mother and Jesus' brothers. I need you to understand that these brothers were not always on Jesus' team. We find, and you can read this on, in, in your own time, that in fact, Jesus' brothers seemed a little bit concerned, maybe even about Jesus' mental state at times. And, um, and they were concerned about their older brother and tried to kind of like take him away and have him come back home. How many of you have older brothers? Anyone in here? Older, older, sibling, older brother? Okay. What would it take to convince you that your older brother was the Messiah? I could tell from the laughter. Now, here's the thing. I know that most firstborns think they are the Messiah, right? You're a, I'm a firstborn, so I get it, right? I understand that, right? I'll, I'll own that, right? And you may be convinced that maybe he was the devil, but like, how, what would it take for you to be convinced that your older brother is the Messiah? Let me just say, it would probably be watching him suffer, crucified, died, bury his dead body, and then having him ascend, having him resurrect from the dead and have breakfast with him. And for some of you, that would probably be the only way that there would be any, any shred that you would ever come to the place of saying, yes, I think that my possibly, possibly my brother could be the Messiah. It would take a lot, wouldn't it? It would take a lot to really change your mind. And so I just want you to understand this group of 120 people is made up of men and women and friends and family and acquaintances and probably a few people that you really don't even like because there's always that in a group of 120 people. And they're all up there convinced and praying and in one accord and waiting. Can I just... I just encourage you as I look at this group of people, these are the people God uses. People kind of like you. And he continues, verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up, stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide, for those who arrested Jesus. The third point is this, that, that God uses people who are devoted to God's word. God uses people who are devoted to God's word. Leaders follow scripture. I want you to see this. Peter and all of these other people up there in the upper room, they actually believed that the word of God was the word of God, so they devoted themselves to it. Not just in word, but in action. Is that how you view 
the word of God. I'm amazed at the amount of believers that will say, yes, I believe that the Bible, the word of God, is the, the, the word of God. But I'm amazed at the amount of Christians that either don't read it, couldn't find a book in it if they tried, or will disregard the parts that they just don't agree with. And here's what I would say to you, as, as, as much love as I can give you, either this is the word of God or it isn't. If it isn't, throw it away. Please disregard it. But if it is, it's not only worth reading, it's not only worth knowing, it's worth devoting your life to. People, God uses, are people who are devoted to God's word. And this is what we see with Peter. He's like, it had to be fulfilled. Why? Because the word, the word of God says it. The Bible says it, so therefore it has to happen. So we're going to walk in obedience to God's word, even though we don't necessarily know what that looks like. It continues in verse 21. It says, therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus was living among us from the beginning, from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection this is, this, is, this is where it gets a little, a little weird. I mean, they're essentially needing to replace Judas's position. They, they're the 12. They've always been the 12. They're probably known as the 12, right? But now they're only 11 because Judas is no longer there. And so they need to add to their 11 to make them 12. And it's interesting to me that the only qualification to be considered in this crazy elite position, crazy elite position, was not that somebody just kind of knew about Jesus or was kind of a peripheral crowd member around Jesus or a fan of Jesus, but that it was a person who had a personal witness of Jesus' life and his resurrection. Someone who, who knew Jesus firsthand and knew it to be true and was willing to stand up and say, I know that 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 Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Because why? Because I've been with him when he was baptized and I've seen him ascend to heaven God uses people who know Jesus. And I believe that he is still looking for, to use people with that same simple qualification today. The same one. And we've said this past few weeks, that we do not worship a, a, a dead, inspirational, dead guy, right? We, 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 Jesus was not some sort of a, a hippy-dippy teacher who came and lived and died. We don't just read about him and study about him and sing songs about him. He's not just a character in a book. We serve a risen king. We worship a God who wants to be encountered and wants to be known. And so the real mark of Christianity is, do you believe in Jesus Christ, that he is who he says he is? The real mark of Christianity is, have you met him? Have you met him? He's my king. Have you met him? It's the real mark of, of any Christ follower and I wonder how many times we put all kinds of other expectations onto ourselves of that, well, this is what has to happen in order for God to use me. And yet, the one single qualification to add to the 12 disciples was, have you met him and did you stick around? Did you not leave? Because so many people had. Because Jesus offended them, one of the disciples offended them. Thomas doubted. Peter was an idiot. We have all these, you know, I can't stick with these 12. I'm out of here, right? Like, 
The one mark is, have you met him and did you stay? Did you stay? Hallelujah. And then it gets better. Verse 23. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. This is literally all we know about these guys. We actually don't even see them mentioned at all in the rest of, of, of Scripture. You would think that other things would come into play here. Maybe their resume, their public speaking ability, their leadership experience, their education, their personality profile, like are you an INFJ? I don't know. Like I, we could really use one on our team. I mean, this, this is a pretty big deal, Right? You're adding to the 12. You think that maybe they'd be thinking, well, we need somebody with some financial experience because they're replacing Judas and he used to be the treasurer. So do you have any financial experience that would really kind of sweeten the deal? But no, I just want you to see this. They're just looking for a guy who knows that he 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 saw Jesus and hasn't left him. <laughs> it's, it, it is crazy encouraging, I hope, for, for all of us that that one of the greatest attributes of leadership in the kingdom is staying over the long haul, and it is so rare, and it still is. The last point is this, that God uses people who are ordinary. He uses people who are ordinary. Jesus certainly didn't call his first disciples because of their abilities. They were fishermen, tax collectors, who even knows Jesus continually is looking for people, ordinary people, who didn't have abilities but had availability. People who were willing to answer the call of come, follow me, and drop their nets, left their businesses, left their family to risk it all to follow him. And what we find is that God doesn't call the qualified. He always qualifies the called. And so what that means to you, as a Holy Spirit-filled follower of Jesus, is that it matters very little how qualified you feel. <laughs> yeah, but I don't, I don't have my degree, and I don't really know the Bible, that, and I can't find the Scripture always and all the time. I just want you to understand that, like, in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is just looking for people who are willing to be available to come follow him and continually stay to follow him. It's people who realize that it is only when God puts his super on my natural that I can do anything for him. It's not because of my, 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 my great expertise, and not, not, not even my past experience in business. All that may come into play, but I'm just wanting you to know that it is the power of the Holy Spirit in you that God wants to work through you that is the very thing that will change the world. That's the beauty of the gospel. So you want to be used by God? Wait on him. You want to be used by God? Be devoted to prayer before acting. <laughs> you want to be used by him? Let his word have the final say in your life. Man. You want to be used by him? Commit to knowing him more and more and more and more, realizing that it is the knowing of Jesus that will literally promote you in the kingdom of God. Why don't you stand with me? 
We haven't even gotten to Acts 2. Come on. I'm excited. Um, let me just, I'm going to finish it right here in verse 24. Because this is the weird part, and some of you may have some questions about it. So it says, and they, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two guys uh, you've chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. And then they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, for some of you, you're like, wait, I don't even know what, what casting lots means. Does it mean that they voted? Like they all kind of got together and like, I don't know, vote for Matthias or Barnabas Justice, whatever his name is. He's got three names, can't, can't make a decision, right? Like, um, no, it wasn't voting. In, it was more like a lottery. It essentially means like they, in today's kind of what we would do is like put two names in a hat and kind of move it around and someone pulls it out and Matthias you're going to be added to the 12th apostle, the 12th disciple. Like, essentially, and this is weird, but essentially they're kind of like, hey, we can't, we don't really know. You're both great guys, but we can't really make a decision based, you know, like which one. Um, so we're just going to roll the dice and let God decide. And, uh, and you may be thinking, like, is that how I should pick a husband? Please do not. Lord, am I supposed to, you know, take this new job? And should I, should I am I supposed to move to, to, to Portland, Oregon? Should I do that? No. Is it like an eight ball where you should just kind of ask God, Lord Jesus, tell me so. Maybe so. No. Like, I mean, is that how we're supposed to make decisions in the kingdom of heaven? Like, they added, this is a big deal. And they add uh, the, the new guy by casting Lots. And here's what I would say. There are many things in the Bible that are just descriptive rather than prescriptive. Let me, let me say this in a different way. Um, sometimes, um, just because it happens and it's recorded in this book does not necessarily mean that this is how you're supposed to do it from now on. It's descriptive rather than prescriptive. It doesn't actually even mean that God told them to do it because there's actually not a place in here where God said, thus saith me, Cast lots. Peter thought, hey, this has been a thing. They've done this in the past. You know, ancient Jews used to do this. They didn't see it as divination. They saw it as the hand of God making a choice. And, but in fact, here's the cool thing. This is the last time that we see casting lots being a decision-making practice in the Bible. Last time. And it is right before the Holy Spirit came. So what changed? Hmm. It's right before the Holy Spirit came. What changed? They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that as spirit-filled believers, what we find from there on out is they just started asking God to reveal his will, and he did. Jesus, where should I go? What should I say? Should I stay or should I go? Where sh should I do here? Should I say here? Who should we add? What should we do? How should we do? Who should I bring along with me? And God continually led them. They just started asking God, and he answered. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then this is what it says. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good 
pleasing and perfect will. Church, can I remind you again, as spiritual believers, you have been given the word of God and you have been given the spirit of God to discern the will of God in your life. And so if you're not sure what to do, ask him. Pray, be in constant prayer. Ask him, God, I need you to reveal your will to me. So, what kind of God, what kind of people does God use? Well, what we find here is that God can use anyone chosen by any means as long as they know that they know that they know Jesus and are filled with his Holy Spirit. Because it really didn't matter if it was, if it was Matthias or Justice Barnabas, whatever his name was, God knew I'm going to fill them with my Holy Spirit and that is the very qualification for leadership in the kingdom of God, that I'm going to lead them, that they know that they haven't left, that they're consistent, that they're men of character and integrity, and I can do anything with that because they're constantly in prayer and they're committed to my word and they know me. It's not who you are, it's who you know. Always, always. I pray it's an encouragement to you um, because if God has called you to follow him, then your response is to do just that, follow him. And as we close today in worship, this is what I want to encourage you in. As you wait on the Lord today, and I encourage you to wait on the Lord in this time of worship, what if we simply focused on the last thing that Jesus told us to do? For maybe for some of you, what was the last thing that God told you to do? Maybe it was that word that you prayed for, for 2021, that you've just, and what was that word again? I kind of got off track and I haven't been focused on that. Maybe God said the last thing he told you to do was you need to get baptized. The last thing he told you to do, you felt the Holy Spirit leading you to do something or go somewhere or just stay. I just want to remind you that obedience is the pathway to his promise. So Jesus, as we lift your name up high, God, I pray that we would wait in this moment and truly consider the last thing that you've called us to and refuse to move from it. God, I pray that there would be a steeliness in us, that it is the very power of the Holy Spirit in us that is the only power we need for life and godliness. And so Jesus, we ask for a fresh infilling of your spirit this morning. I pray for a resolution that it is the very word of God and the spirit of God that helps us discern the, the will of God in our life. And so God, I pray you'd speak to us right now as we worship you and as we lift your name up. I pray you'd, you'd just, you'd cause us to walk out of this place in obedience to your spirit. Let's worship him today, Jesus. Let's lift him up, lift him up, lift him up.